everybody, and welcome back to the Moving Pictures Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Holtzclaw. It is officially spooky season, and this month we are going to be watching a bunch of scary movies, and I'm going to talk about a few of them. So today, we are going to be talking about the Scream movies. What's your favorite scary movie? So, this isn't really a scary movie. It's in the slasher horror genre, but we all know it's not very scary. It's very 90s, early 2000s, predictable, kind of lurking, killers, jump scares. We know that the main character isn't going to die. We know that the bad guy is going to die in the end. And we know that people, side characters, are going to die in the process. So very predictable, but still so enticing and entertaining and that's why it's kind of my favorite these movies really got me into real horror and I wouldn't even say I'm a big horror buff I think you guys know that about me I don't watch the scariest of scary movies but I love being scared and I love being entertained by other people being scared which is kind of the appeal to all horror movies and these movies just hit so close to home these are the movies that I've watched so many times with my friends that I've watched with my family these are kind of my go-to let's have a little movie night during October so here we are we're going to talk about it I picked these movies just because I really love them but also because there's such a historical significance for this slasher film genre because of these movies. So slasher films were really popular in the 70s and all throughout the 80s specifically, but they had a really big decline from the 80s up until this first Scream movie in 1996. So in the film studies world, Wes Craven has kind of been known for reinventing and revitalizing the slasher horror genre with this trilogy of Scream movies starting in 1996, like I said. There's kind of a formula for these slasher horror films and it's kind of seen throughout all of the Scream movies but also other horror movies. A good example is Halloween and I'll kind of explain why. So a typical formula for these slasher films is is that there's a past wrongful action that causes severe trauma to the main character and it's reinforced by a commemoration or an anniversary of this past trauma that reactivates or re-inspires the killer. This killing is usually built around a stalk and murder sequence from the killer. So clearly in Scream, the stalking is the calling, the asking what your favorite movie is, the I'm in your house. And then the murder is him trying to kill Sydney basically every scene and then also killing other characters so this kind of brings a return of the killer feel for the audience since it is an anniversary or some sort of commemoration of this past trauma this first killing especially in scream the first killing and the commemoration that follows is Sydney Prescott's mom dying she was murdered and so the killer is kind of coming back to torture Sydney based off of her mom's death but kind of for different reasons that come to light throughout the movie and throughout the subsequent sequels. (laughs) When I was researching this I kind of learned this cool fact that I that kind of reminded me of my undergrad film studies days way back in my mind. I you know remembered this but the most common trope for a slasher horror film is that there's typically a young woman who is alone with the killer who's typically a young man 
by the end and must finally kill him in a very dramatic way. So in Scream, every single one of these movies has this trope where Sydney is alone with the killer in the end and she wins and the killer dies. And she's alone. She has to do this alone. Even though she does have help kind of with reinforcing the killing and making sure that the murderer is dead, she ends up alone in a room with the killer or killers in the end. However, there are a few changes in this trope with the Scream movies because not all of the killers are men and there are multiple killers for some of the the movies. So it's not an exact formula, obviously, but because Wes Craven was reinventing the slasher horror genre and repopularizing it, then I think he kind of felt this artistic freedom to kind of change the formula a little bit and just kind of, I guess, do what he thought would be most entertaining and most most interesting for the audience. And I, again, I don't think these movies are scary because it kind of gets to the point where you say, okay, who else could possibly come back and try and kill Sydney, who is in her her inner circle because spoiler alert all of the killers are people that actually know Sydney and have a personal connection with her or her mother's murder or the murder that happened in the movie before so there's always a connection to Sydney and there's always someone that she knows or loves or trusts that ends up betraying her and trying to kill her I just thought it was kind of interesting that that Craven would use this idea of Sydney's inner circle being a killer or being the killers and he kind of switched it up and he really just reinvented but recategorized what a slasher film was for the the late 90s and the early 2000s and I really I think that this has impacted horror movies a lot so that's why I want to talk about Scream just to give you guys a little summary I know I kind of jumped ahead explaining this genre and why these movies are so historically significant but in case you guys don't know the summary of this movie is that it follows the character of Sydney Prescott who lives in the fictional town of Woodsboro California and she becomes the target of a mysterious killer in a Halloween costume known as Ghostface so Throughout these four movies, this summary never changes. The only thing that changes is Sydney's stage of life. She gets older than the movies progress to kind of follow her stage of life and follow where she is. So in the first one, she's in high school. In the second one, she's in college. In the third one, she's out in the real world and she goes to a movie set and that's when this happens. And then in the fourth one, she comes back for a 15th year anniversary of the original killings and that's where this movie takes place, back in Woodsboro, under a a commemoration circumstance, under the anniversary. So the irony in this movie that I like the most is that all the characters talk about scary movies in reference to the real-life killings that are happening. So Randy, the character Randy Meeks, he really hits on the formulas of scary movies and that if police just watched this scary movie, then they would know what to do about this real-life murderer that's on the loose. And, I mean, the most obvious irony here is that the killer that does things that typically happens in horror movies calls his victims and asks them what their favorite scary movie is. And so this kind of starts the irony, especially from the first movie when Sidney Prescott gets this first call from the killer. And... 
She says, oh, I don't watch scary movies. It's stupid when uh, the idiot girl goes upstairs instead of walking out the front door. And then, you know, five seconds later, the killer's like, well, I'm on your porch. You know, I'm in your house, whatever. And then she tries to be killed and gets attacked by this guy that is calling her and wearing this Halloween costume. I like the irony of it and I think that kind of makes the movie less scary is that you get to sit there and say oh well she just made fun of this dumb blonde in typical scary movies but when she's being attacked her door is locked so she can't get out and has to run up the stairs and gets trapped in the house and so it's kind of ironic that everything that they're saying about typical horror movies and and the stupidity that comes along with it is actually happening in real life and it's happening to them. They're in a real life horror movie. And I just, I think that's so interesting and that's a really cool way to revitalize this genre and revitalize a horror movie that, you know, in a way that kind of makes it more unique and less typical. So I know that I am kind of jumping around and kind of going all over the place, but there's so much to these movies that you wouldn't really think about. So I I feel that it's really hard to kind of stay concise, but we're going to try. The director of all four of these movies is Wes Craven, as I mentioned. I've talked about him a lot. And the writer for all four of these movies is Kevin Williamson. And the cool thing about these movies is that the cast varies so much. So you see a lot of actors that we know today that might not have been super famous back then, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And this was kind of One of their first big movies, which we all love to see, you know, a star before they were a star. In Scream 1, the cast is Drew Barrymore. She plays the very first victim of this killer, Casey Becker. And I love this opening scene that Drew Barrymore is in. She's not, she dies, you know, she's not in the rest of the movie, but she's in this opening scene. And it's so powerful because that's when you really grasp who this killer is and what he does and his victimology and and his M.O., And I remember watching the trailer and it's just this opening scene, probably half of it. It's just this opening scene. Back then, I don't think they really knew how to do trailers super well. So they would just kind of show a part of the movie. But what I loved, what really gave me chills and kind of enticed me into watching these movies is when she's on the phone, you know, this guy keeps asking her questions. He's being all flirty, which favorite scary movie, blah, 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 blah. And then he keeps asking her name. She says, why do you want to know my name? And he says, because I want to know who I'm looking at. And then music starts, she freezes, then the audience is like, oh, well, okay, this, this girl is going to die. Like, I, this is creepy now. This is not just some flirty wrong number call. This is a literal serial killer. And this is how he stalks his victims. I got chills during that part. I always get chills during that part because it freaks me out. That's the most kind of realistic aspect of this movie is that someone I guess could call you and try and kill you I guess but that's really the only scary part to me was just that line but it really sets the scene for who you're gonna see for the next three four movies so Nev Campbell plays Sydney Prescott in all four movies Courtney Cox plays Gail Weathers a reporter in all four movies David Arquette plays Deputy Dewey in all four movies. And in the first movie, we have Skeet Ulrich, who plays Billy Loomis. And spoiler alert, he is one of the killers. Matthew Lillard, who I know as Shaggy from the like live action Scooby-Doo movie, 
He plays Stu, who, again, spoiler alert, is one of the other killers. And then we have Jamie Kennedy, who plays Randy Meeks, and he is in the first three movies. So he's kind of a reoccurring character, kind of a big character, a good friend to Sydney throughout, but he does die. But he's in the first three, so I thought it would be unfair not to mention him. So, like I said, the first one is my favorite movie. This opening scene is just such such a thrill, honestly. And and I think if you haven't seen it or you don't remember it, please go look it up. It's so good. Drew Barrymore looks so young and looks so weird in that blonde wig to me. I don't know if that's her real hair or not, but it just it's just weird to me. But this was kind of one of her earlier films, which like I said is really cool. The most memorable part of this movie besides the opening scene to me is the ending the reveal of who the killers are because it's so juicy and it's unexpected if you haven't seen the movies or you know even really knew what they were about when you were watching the first one it's just really juicy and again she's alone with the killers she does have help like I said Craven kind of changes this formula a little bit she does have help from Gail Weathers and from Dewey but ultimately she's the one that that wins the end and that kills Billy and Stu. So in this scene, we kind of understand that everything's intertwined with Sydney's mom's murder in the past and kind of like her wrongful actions that got her killed, supposedly. And we kind of understand why Billy and Stu were doing this, which happens in every movie. We learn at the end why the killer is doing these things and why they did these things. So Billy's reason was that Sydney's mom was having an affair with his dad and he thinks that this affair is the reason that his mom abandoned him. And so his goal was to take this anger out on Sydney as revenge since her mom was already dead. The reason that Stu was involved is because he needed a fall guy and to help Billy kind of seem innocent throughout. And This was very mind-boggling the first time I watched it and and it's supposed to be mind-boggling for Sydney because it's her boyfriend that does this and she has to realize that no one's safe, that she can't trust anyone and, and this kind of theme of her having trust issues is shown throughout the next three movies as well. But in the end, like I said, Billy and Stu both die and all the good guys win in the end. So you think it's over. And then Scream 2 comes out. And this came out in 1997. So one year after this first movie. So in Scream 2, the cast is still Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Jamie Kennedy. But the new players are Sarah Michelle Gellar, Timothy Oliphant, and Laurie Metcalf. I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. She plays Cece Cooper, a Srat girl, sorority girl that dies. And so she's not a central character, but she's one of those important side characters that just kind of falls victim to the killer when he's going after Sydney. And then Timothy Oliphant plays Mickey, who, spoiler alert, is one of the killers. And he is actually a friend of Sydney and Sydney's boyfriend in college. So she trusts him. He's kind of the stew version of of her college circle and there's kind of a plot twist in the end because we think at first that Mickey's working alone and then Laurie Metcalf who's playing Mrs. Loomis Billy's mom comes out and kind of reveals herself to be the head honcho in in the scheme of the of these killings because she wants to get revenge on Sydney for killing Billy again Mickey is definitely the stew version 
of this second movie because Mrs. Loomis kills Mickey, says he was just going to be the fall guy, you know, she was going to let him do all the killings and then, you know, say he went crazy and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he kind of got in the way, so she ends up killing him. And they together were behind all the other killings throughout the movie and all of the attacks on Sydney. The opening scene for this movie is also really good. You really get to see that the world is making light of Sydney's situation in the previous movie, these killings, this murder, this attack, this ghost face, when they're making movies about it called Stab. I do love watching a movie about a movie or watching, in this case, watching a movie about a movie that's happening, you know, in in the the world of this story. And specifically about this opening scene, I really liked that Omar Epps and Jada Pickett-Smith were in it because, again, I love watching actors in movies kind of before they were famous or really before you knew who they were. But these characters in the opening scene really help set the tone for what this movie is going to be. And I, I love that both of these characters get killed by the real killer while they're at a movie premiere for the Stab movies. So everyone's in costume. It's all dark. It's loud. People are shouting. People are talking. People are laughing. You know, it's a big, big, big premiere. And so no one knows that there's an actual killer there. And I think that adds a little uniqueness to the movie, to this sequel. It kind of shakes things up a bit, in my opinion. It makes this killer even more murderous and more, like, heinous. So, you know, in the second movie, like I said, Sydney is at college now. She's trying to escape what happened to her in high school, but she still has this remaining trauma. And this trauma is what kind of brings the killer back. It's, you know, a part of this slasher formula that... There's some sort of commemoration. And in this case, it's the stab premiere that kind of reignites this killer's motive to hurt Sydney. But now the killer kind of has more killers, has more ammo against Sydney because she doesn't really trust anyone because of what happened in the first movie and what happened with Billy. And and so she essentially gets some of her friends killed. She gets her boyfriend killed and... She kind of struggles to understand what's real. I think the audience does too because it's not really clear who the killer is at all times. You think as an audience member, as a viewer, you kind of sit there and think, okay, well, who knows who this killer could be? Because in the first movie, it was her boyfriend, the inner circle. So it's probably that again, but who in her inner circle? So it's a little bit more exciting. You get to kind of play the guessing game and... And, you know, try and predict who it is. I was not expecting Billy's mom to come because we didn't see her in the first movie. So I didn't expect her to be the killer. So that was a pretty good twist in my in my opinion. I really liked that. But of course, you know, they die. Sydney wins. And the other side characters like Dewey and Gail, they all survive. And they help Sydney survive. So kind of as these movies go on and these characters become more important and become more critical in the plot, which I think is very interesting. That's a really cool way to kind of keep characters interesting and keep them, you know, tied into the story. So Scream 3, which came out in 2000, also stars Neff Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Jamie Kennedy. But it also stars Patrick Dempsey, Scott Foley, Parker Posey, and Kelly Rutherford. So 
Patrick Dempsey plays Detective Mark Kincaid. And for a brief time, I did think he was the killer. Spoiler alert, he wasn't. Which is such a relief because I can only see him as McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy. So that was really exciting to me that he was not the killer. My favorite line from this movie is when Sydney asks Detective Kincaid what his favorite scary movie is. And he leans down and he says, my life. That's a good uh, motto to live by. (laughs) Especially in October. So Patrick Dempsey kind of plays on this theme of Sydney's trust issues and, and the audience never knowing who who in her inner circle is really the killer. Scott Foley plays Roman Bridger, who's a movie director, and he is actually directing the Stab 3 movie. And so that's where this movie takes place. Sydney and her friends come back to visit the set of Stab 3. And all of these actors, the set, the crew, kind of all of them become these side characters that could potentially die and they their lives are in danger because Sydney came back and Sydney was um, with them. Parker Posey is Jennifer Jolie who plays Gail Weathers in the Stab 3 movie. So she's kind of vital because she just kind of follows follows the real characters around. And I liked this intertwining of the movie within the movie and the movie. If that makes sense. I liked having the the quote unquote real characters in the movie and then having their characters kind of be intertwined and be involved and actually get to experience it firsthand. And Kelly Rutherford plays Christine. And if you don't know who she is, she is Mrs. Vanderwoodson on Gossip Girl. So that's how I know her. But I like that she was in that. Also, Cotton Weary is a is a big character. He's just kind of in the mix, though. I I just don't even think he's that important to really talk about just because he's kind of the fall guy, you know, at the beginning of the movie when Sydney accused him of killing her mom and then he kind of gets caught up in the fame of being involved with the scream story and the killings and he kind of comes to their rescue in this third movie, he helps kill the ghost faces, but he kind of seems like a bad guy throughout. So again, he plays on these trust issues that Sydney has. We don't really know who he is, what his intentions are, if he's good, if he's bad, all that good questioning. So plot twist, Roman Bridger was the killer in the end. This this is where it gets really complex and I like it I liked this kind of pulled in the other movies too so these movies don't really stand alone you kind of have to watch them as the series I guess it's on a trilogy if there's four you guys know what I mean so basically Roman was a product of Maureen Prescott's sexual assault when she was an actress in Hollywood a young actress years ago and when he finally found her when he was an adult and came to her and revealed his identity as her son she rejected him and didn't want anything to do with him so the reason that he's exacting revenge on Sydney is because she got the life with their mom that he wanted and that she wouldn't give him and so his whole plan from day one was to get other people to be these ghost faces in the in the first two movies and then reveal himself in this third movie so he convinced Billy that Sydney needed to die because of her mom's affair with Billy's dad. And then in the second one, Billy's mom wanted revenge because her son was dead. 
which all had to do with Roman because he's the one that came to Billy and convinced him that Sydney needed to die. So it just kind of all ties in and has a little twist, you know, that they're actually half siblings and Sydney had no idea that this was happening. And this was just kind of a, a final piece of information that kind of blew everything up and showed that Roman was really the killer and the, the mastermind in the first place that set everything else in motion. So Scream 4, which was a surprise because we thought everything was over, but fun fact, it's not. There's another killer. The cast is Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, as usual. And then the new players, Emma Roberts, plays Jill Roberts, Sydney's high school cousin. And there are just kind of a few other random actresses that were in this movie that I thought were really cool to see, like Hayden Panettiere, Lucy Hale, Kristen Bell, Alison Brie, and Sinead Grimes. And they kind of play with this kind of confusing but super interesting at the same time transition from the stab movies to the actual scream story so in the beginning there's multiple scenes of these kind of random characters watching the stab movies and then being stabbed and that's a part of the movie the stab movie not the scream movie so it's kind of like messes with your head but I think it's again it's cool that they're putting a movie in a movie and in this case like a movie in a movie in a movie in a movie just because of the transitions and because you know when Hayden Panettiere dies it actually is Kristen Bell watching her on a movie die and then she dies and it's Sinead Grimes watching Lucy Hale die like that's not exactly right but that's the idea is that it's the movie, watching the movie, watching the movie, watching the movie. So kind of confusing, but really cool. If you haven't seen it, I would suggest you go watch it. And I'll try to post this opening scene on my Instagram so you guys can kind of understand what I'm talking about. It's confusing, like I said, but I think it's also super artistic and unique. And it kind of, it stood out to me a lot in this movie. I just love the opening scenes in all of these movies. I guess that's like the one thing that I really remember and really love about these movies which I didn't really think about until I was making this podcast but you know I do think Craven did a really good job with these opening scenes kind of enticing you and getting you to want to watch the movie which is always good however this last movie wasn't my favorite I kind of think they should have stopped after the third movie and after everything was tied up but I can't complain about another Scream movie because it's just so entertaining and it makes me happy so it's not like i would say that they shouldn't have made this movie but it just wasn't my favorite the first one definitely my favorite the fourth one my least favorite but of course Craven comes up with an answer for us when the killer is Jill Roberts with the help of her boyfriend Charlie Walker so Jill is Sydney's cousin like I said and she was always so jealous of Sydney's fame because of the stab movies and because of what she went through and because of just kind of the popularity and and fame that she got from being a victim multiple times of this ghost face killer. And Jill really wanted to be the new Sydney Prescott. And of course she fails. You know, her whole plan hinges on killing Sydney, which she doesn't, obviously. And she ends up killing her boyfriend. He is the equivalent of Stu and Mickey. He was just kind of the fall guy. She just used him because she needed help. And then when you know, he didn't serve her anymore, then he died. In the end, Jill 
thought she could kill Sydney on her own and then make it look like she was the victim. But of course this didn't work and Sydney wins and she's face to face with the killer as she kills Jill. Which is, like I said, a twist in the formula that it's Sydney, who's not really a young woman anymore. This is 15 years later. She's in her 30s, not a young woman anymore. And she's faced with a killer who is a young woman, not a young man. And they're alone. But this formula isn't typical. This is a very atypical way to have a slasher film. And I also think it there's a twist that, that Sydney always has some connection with the killer. I don't think that's necessarily a part of the formula for typical thrasher horror films. So that's that's another interesting thing that I think Craven did. But, you know, like I said, very predictable. These movies are are easy to, you know, explain, easy to understand, easy to predict. It's it's entertainment, it's brain candy, it's fun to watch, but it's not exactly the scariest. It's not exactly the most thought-provoking movie if that makes sense. And that's that's kind of the fun of it for me, honestly. I'm not criticizing this genre of movies because I think the whole point is that it's fun and you don't have to sit there and analyze too much if you don't want to. So in conclusion, I think Wes Craven did such a good job with these movies and I found it really interesting to learn that he kind of left a mark for this genre in in time when he revitalized this genre and when he gave it a twist and kept it alive and reinvented the way that these horror movies were made and I like to think that he had a big hand in making what horror movies are today which are really good very scary super interesting super complex super intricate and I think that he kind of paved the way for these slasher horror films to develop and get better and get more intense and get more fun. Like I said in my last podcast, I will be now doing podcasts every two weeks. So in two weeks, I will be doing another horror movie podcast because it's October and I love Halloween. So please look out for that. I hope you guys had a lot of fun listening to me go on about this movie. Thank you guys so much for listening and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Now if you run into a five foot two covered with fur Diamond rings and all those things, bet your life it isn't her Could she love, could she woo, could she cry?